I'm curious today if you uh, could think back to the scariest crowd that you have ever been in. Uh, what it was like to be in the fullest room. Uh, sometimes we have those experiences um, that are frightening to us, but we're just around so many people. Uh, for some of you, that may be um, if you were at a ball game. A lot of times this can be a little overwhelming. We're trying to leave the baseball game and the traffic is going crazy and uh, it was just cars everywhere and everybody's in deadlock and everybody's honking. This is particularly scary if you have children. Ever try to leave a stadium when you have little kids with you and how terrifying that can be. Uh, like I said, the car part is very difficult as well. And if you've ever been, hopefully you have not been, but... Some of us have been in a moment where we even fear we're going to be trampled, right? Like the crowd is just going to keep on going, and they're not going to hear us going, no, stop, help, and we'll just get taken away and ran over. Uh, I think the worst experience I ever had was um, in Italy, and we were trying to get on a subway. And we had been prepped beforehand by the teachers of our university. When you go there, there's a lot of pickpockets on the subways. Be careful with your money. Be careful with your passport. So, like, I'm walking around like this all the time, you know, afraid someone's going to rob me. So then we get in the subway, and the full the platform is full. The train is full. And then, beep, the doors open. And it just starts shoving, right? People just start pushing you. And you are being compacted in. And the worst spot to be is right at the door. And you're like, am I going to be on this or off of this thing when this door hits? You know, like, am I going to be in a spot where I'm going to get slammed in or not? And you're just at the whims of the crowd. You have no option. You have no ability to kind of be in control of where you are going. And it's really, um, it's a scary thing. What's really weird about being in a giant crowd is that you are surrounded by people, yet you don't feel like you have any power or that anybody cares about you. It's a really weird thing to be surrounded by a million people, yet it doesn't appear that anybody is aware that you exist. And for the character in our story today, she lives her life jostled about by a crowd. That feeling where you just keep moving with the stream of people and you just go wherever it tells you to go, that is how she has to live. Because she has so little control over what's going on in her life that she's forced to just move with the flow of the circumstances of her life. And she is desperate for it to be different in any way, shape, or form. And that's where we'll pick up our story today. So we get ready to read this story. Um, here at the feast, we do a Q&A at the end of our sermons. There are cards here in these little plastic holders that are on the sides of the pews. Um, if you would like to ask a question about anything in the sermon today, just grab one of those cards and you can write it there. There's also a spot for prayer requests. We will um, have a time at the end of service where we'll pray for those prayer requests. If you want those to be anonymous, don't put your name on it. And if you want it to not be anonymous, put your name on it. Uh, so those are all there and available for you um, as we go through this story. Mark 5, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. 
A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I want to spend a few moments um, just thinking about this woman and her particular predicament, the things that she is suffering through. Uh, It's worth noting that as the story opens up, the story is not about her. The story opens up as a story about Jairus and his daughter. And as unfortunately is so often the case in these ancient documents, she is merely a woman with a problem. He is a man with a name, Jairus. And you just already, there's just the slight shades of their culture that you can see. Her problem is not nearly as important. She's not a synagogue leader. She doesn't have a fancy title. People aren't making way so that she can approach Jesus like they do with Jairus. She's an afterthought. She's not even supposed to be part of this story. The way it's told, it's as if she inserts herself into Jairus' story because there isn't even space for her to have her own. And as she comes, she has this incredible problem. Um, She has this chronic health issue. Maybe that is something you've experienced in your life or in your family. Uh, I can't even imagine how exhausting and isolating and frustrating it is to constantly be dealing with a health issue that just will not go away. And you go to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they all take your money, but none of them help you. I'm sorry, this is a poor story for the medical profession. I know we have some of you around, you're lovely people, but this story is not your story. Uh, and she's, so, she's frustrated, and she's having a hard time. And um, because of what the text tells us, we know she's dealing with relative poverty, right? Any wealth that she'd accumulated, any capital she had in her life, has been spent on doctors. It's been spent on treatment. And she's still not getting what she needs. On top of this, there are all kinds of social issues that she is dealing with. Um, It's mostly speculation. We don't know for sure. Most scholars that I have read assume that this woman has some kind of problem uh, sort of with her reproductive system, that this is some sort of bleeding uh, related to sort of her menstrual cycle. It just, it never stops. It's just happening all the time, which again, I do not understand this, but I'm sure many women would think that is a terrible thing, right? Just never ending period. And it's, it's not even just frustrating and physically painful, But it's also socially ostracizing. See, she lives in a Jewish society where a woman on her period is ceremonially unclean. She can't be touched. She can't be treated the same way until she's finished. And while uh, in modern senses we find this a little bit bizarre and not the way we want to live, it's one thing if that happens for three or four or five days a month. It's another thing if that happens every day, day in, day out. 12 years. Not being touched, being treated like a pariah, left on the outskirts of society. We don't know how old she is, but the guess would be she's relatively young. She's probably got a lot of trouble getting married in a society where having children is the most important thing for a man when he's looking for a spouse. All of these things, we hear she's bleeding for 12 years and we're like, oh, that sounds like a bad disease. But it's a lot more than that. It is social, emotional, psychological, spiritual, physical pain every single day, 
day in, day out. And it has led her to a place of desperation. To the kind of place where she doesn't say to herself like Jairus, if I could just speak to Jesus. In her mind, that's out of the question. A guy like Jesus isn't going to spend time with somebody like me. And so she says, if only I could just reach out and grab his his cloak, the back of his clothes, just a little touch. And it's sad because it's almost like she thinks that's all I deserve, but it'll be enough. This is somebody who's been beat down for a really, really long time. Here's how the story goes. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the corner and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the crowd against you, his disciples answered. You're going to ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Uh, There's so many details that I love that can be unpacked here. The incredulousness of the disciples. Who touched you? You see this crowd? How are we supposed to figure out who touched you? Everybody's touching you. What? What is going on here? Can we just get moving? They have so many other things that they want to get to. There are so many other things that are more important for the disciples. They cannot be bothered. This is an interruption on a busy day. They have important Jesus business to be about, so they can't be bothered with somebody touching Jesus. Then there's um, the woman's fear, the way that she feels. It's really um, sort of heartbreaking. She has been so beaten down that when Jesus goes, who touched me? She goes, oh, I'm in trouble again. Oh, no. I'm going to get reprimanded. I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to get told why I don't fit, why I don't belong, why I don't deserve this. And so she comes and she trembles in fear. Please, please don't yell at me. Don't be mad at me. Maybe Jesus would heal Jairus' daughter, but why would he heal me? She is a spiritual party crasher who is afraid that she has been found out. And there's fear in her voice as she comes to Jesus. But of course, as we might expect, Jesus treats her with incredible dignity. And he uses this sentence that is very interesting because of how clear it is. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the reality is that is totally true. There is no volition of Jesus in this miracle. This is something really worth paying attention. Most of the time in the Gospels, when Jesus heals somebody, he comes to them and he physically does something or he speaks something or he somehow acts upon the person being healed. So that the as if to say, like, here's how the power is moving. This is a miracle where he's just strolling along the street and it's happening behind him. He doesn't even know who it is. This is the Son of God literally going, oh, man, what happened? I just felt a power surge. It's amazing. Because it is truly this woman's faith that has healed her. It is not the compassion of Jesus that heals this woman. He doesn't even know she's there. Which is an incredible story for you and I. How powerful is faith? How powerful is it when we believe that God will help us? It is her faith that triggers this miracle. And how many of ours are all like, well, God, if you'll do it. He's like, well, if you had a little faith, you'd do it on your own. 
Right? This is why Jesus talks about you have the faith of a mustard seed. Amazing things can happen. Your faith has healed you, daughter. And so Jesus teaches, treats her with this great, amazing compassion. This woman has an unbelievably tenacious faith. There is a crowd around Jesus that is stopping me from getting to him, but I will push through them. Some of them probably knowing I'm ceremonially unclean and a little unhappy that I just brushed by them. But I will push through them. I will run. I will dive. I will do anything I can just to get a little piece of Jesus, despite the crowds that are getting in her way. And because of it, she is set free. As we look at uh, our history as a church, where we have been and where we're going, I love this story because I think at, at the heart of it is the kind of people that we want to be. The reality is there are people who are desperate for Jesus, who feel like they've got to push through a crowd to get there. Who feel like maybe they're interested in religion, maybe they're interested in spirituality, most importantly, they're interested in Jesus Christ. But they've got this whole crowd and mess around them that is in between them and getting to Jesus. And it can be a lot of things. Um, Maybe it's a bad experience they've had at the hands of spiritual physicians who they went to before looking for help with spiritual things and were nothing but harmed and mistreated. Maybe they just feel it's not for them. That maybe Jesus is for other kinds of people, for the gyruses of the world, but not for them. Maybe they see churches And they're just full of people who aren't like them, or worse, they're like the disciples. And the churches are so busy about quote-unquote Jesus business that they can't be bothered with someone like them. And it is a barrier to belief for so many people that they feel like there is no place where they're welcome, where they're at home. They feel like they have to constantly push through a religious crowd just to touch the hem of the real thing. And from day one, we have said that we want to be the kind of church that makes space for people who are pushing through the crowd, for the people who are desperate to get to Jesus, to say all this other stuff, we're going to cut away and we're going to make it so you are welcome. We've tried to live that out in our our, um, core values. Maybe you saw this when you walked in the building this morning. Uh, We have these core values that for us guide what we do as a church. We want to be a church of dialogue. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have things about Jesus that are hard to understand, your questions are welcomed and awesome and beautiful. We will not crowd you out by going, no, we don't ask those kinds of things around this kind of place. We make a way through the crowd so you can ask your questions. For some people, it's just the lack of family. It's a lack of connection. It's a lack of relationship. I don't feel like I belong. And so we have tried to be a church where anybody can belong. Or wherever walk of life you come from, whatever situation you come from, whatever support or lack of support you have, you come here and you have people who take care of you, as Carolyn talked about this morning. We've tried to be the sort of place that is incredibly generous, so that if the crowd that's around you that stops you from getting to Jesus is having enough money to pay your rent or um, you know, needing some time and some help doing this or that, that there are generous people that are willing to help you with those things. So that we can get you the things you need so that you can focus on finding Jesus. And we've been a church about trajectory. Your past, your history does not have to be a crowd that blocks you from Jesus. You do not have to worry about who you have been. We can help you walk and make small steps so that you can be somebody else in the future.
And it's what we've tried to live out as a church. Now is the part where we look ahead, though. It's not just the past, but it's also ahead. And so we got to tell you guys some things today. Uh, and we're excited about them, but we want to share them. Uh, and I, maybe this is a really mundane way to compare this, but one of the crowds that people are struggling to get through to get to Jesus for us is the literal crowd in this church building. We're running out of space, guys. Today is pretty full, and I actually wish there was, I thought there was going to be more people here today. Like, I mean, we are just, we're running out of room. Last week, uh, we had like five or six open seats. Um, and we got to figure out what to do about that. If you've been in our kids' classes, it's even worse. They are they have a lot of children in a very small trailer out there trying to make that work and trying to educate those kids. And so how do we make space? How do we make sure that the crowdedness of our building does not become one more crowd that stops a new person from seeing Jesus? And so we're just going to have to move. Uh, here's the plan. Um, the leadership team has looked it over, and our plan is to move to start worshiping at Asa Messer Elementary School Hopefully on December 1st will be our first Sunday. We are working through things where things are moving. I know that feels fast to you, but trust me, we've been working things in the background. Um, the school is open to us. The principal signed off on it. She's okay with it. And what we'd like to do is to meet on December 1st and 8th to kind of trial run it before we kind of do a big like, hey, it's Christmas, Christmas service. Come in, check out our new space on December 15th. So it gives us a couple weeks of trial run. I know some of you will have questions. I'm going to try at this point to anticipate those questions and answer them, even in the sermon. First question, where is it? I love that this is a neighborhood church, or I walk to this church. We know. That was really important to us. Here's a map I made this morning. Um, it is a full, whopping 0.8 miles from here, less than one mile. If you run really quick, you could get there in eight minutes. Um, or you could drive in eight minutes, apparently, or three minutes. Um, it's not very far at all. It's right there by 10 in Westminster. It is on a, uh, a little bit of a busier street with a little better traffic. It will not be hard to get to. Uh, it is close. And we specifically knew that some of you walk to church and that it needed to be a place where you could still walk to church. And that guided us all through our process of um, where we were looking. But Caleb, that's going to be a lot of work to set up and to tear down every week at a school. We like being in a church that's just set up. And the answer to that is, yes, it will be work. But we don't think it's going to be as much work as we thought. Um, the leadership team spent a lot of time working with other church planners and other people that have been in schools like this. We say, what's your setup team look like? How much time is it? What's it going to involve? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, we don't think it will be too hard. Um, we are going to need volunteers. First of all, Carolyn Borbo is going to be our volunteer coordinator for setup and teardown, okay? And so she will be the person to know. She will be the person bugging you. One of the things that we've decided is instead of me calling you and stuff, which would be very stressful for me, Carolyn is going to help us with that. Uh, here's the deal. If we can get enough people, many hands make light work, and we can get a good crew, and by a good crew, I'm thinking 15 to 20 people, Hopefully get to a place where you're only doing this every five or six weeks. You come an hour and a half early, you set up some things, we give you a list of stuff, and um, we get it set up, and then we'll all tear down together. Uh, we will say that every time we talk to someone, we're like, oh, is this survivable? Like, can the church do this? 
the response across the board was, no, this is really good. This gives people a chance to serve who've never had a chance to serve before. There are some of you who do not want to stand up here and talk about communion like Carolyn did today. There are some of you that don't even want to be a bounce house bouncer like Carolyn did yesterday. But if we said, hey, can you plug in a couple of cables and set up a few chairs? You'll go, oh, yeah, we can do that. And if we build big teams like that, we can do this and it isn't a huge drain on anybody. Uh, Also, what we heard is you start to build really great relationships. If you're in a crew together that's the same four or five that get together every five weeks to do this, you start to make good friendships. You have good conversations and it builds morale. I know that may sound crazy to you, but we do believe it. Uh, The other thing we want you guys to know is that for those of you who are involved in the worship team and to a lesser degree, those who are involved in teaching, we definitely don't want to work. We don't want to wear out anybody. Okay. And so if you're leading worship, you're not going to be setting up two. We're not trying to double up upon you. Um, Our teachers, there may be a little more doubling up, but that part of that's because part of the setup will be setting up a classroom. So why not like use the teachers to help set up the classroom, right? Makes sense. Uh, but we're going to work through all of that. We don't want you to feel exhausted. If you're like, I already do four things here, and I can't do one more thing, you're not, we're not trying to wear you out, okay? If you're thinking, oh, you know, I could do, I don't, I don't know, I could use something. I could have something I'd like to own. You're the kind of person we'd love to use and involve in this. Uh, Caleb, is this really necessary? Is it really required? Um, yes, it is. Uh, there's a couple things about this. Um, there's a thing in church called the 80-20 rule as far as attendance. When your um, worship space is 80% full, visitors tend to not come back because it feels too full. All right? And we are bumping up against that number already. Also, again, classroom spaces. Part of the way that we got here was we looked at several different options. We looked at other buildings. We even talked about real estate. We talked about building. We talked about trailers. I mean, we would have to put in two more trailers just to really have the classroom space we need to help our teachers have the room they need. And this school is a one-time option that lets us build for a long time. That's the beautiful thing about this option is we're not going to be, if we tried to stay here at this space, we talked about knocking back that back wall. Okay, that'll help us for six months. And then there won't be enough classes. And then we'll go through a mess to get the classroom space. And then we'll be six months more down the road. And we'll have not enough auditorium space. This is a longer term space. Uh, Caleb, isn't the cafeteria kind of ugly? I know. Hey, I'm serious. People ask this. Uh, Not when we're done with it. This is why Preston is an amazing man. I'm sure that this is going to look fine. This is what it looks like now. It's a very well-kept facility. You can see it's designed to have a stage and some acoustic panels and some lights and everything already. So it already has sort of a stage set up. But also, Preston started looking at examples, and I think this one's amazing. You guys see here on the left side, that's what it looked like before, and then that's what it looks like for the worship time. I mean, I can't promise we'll transform it that much, but you can see there's a lot you can do to make a space look nice. We care about aesthetics, and so we want it to be comfortable for your bum and also pleasing to your eyes. We will make sure that we handle those kinds of things. Um, uh, let's see. What are the questions? Oh, will this be uh, – oh, what about A.D. Bridgham? So this space is special to us. For many of us, it has been our space. We do not plan on getting rid of this right now. The rent is low enough here. We're going to try to keep it for events like yesterday, for offices, for storage, for meetings. And we plan to kind of keep it and also so that we can have a long-term option to stay here and build here if one day that's the more appropriate option. 
So we're not planning on getting rid of this building uh, at the current time. Well, doesn't that, Caleb, that sounds really expensive. Well, it's not really expensive. It's more expensive than what we're doing now. And uh, the biggest expense, the budget team did really great. We have the rent covered in our budget. The build out for getting it ready is not as covered as it should be. Um, we're going to be looking at some out, outside fundraising opportunities, but also your continued and increased generosity would be helpful in that process as well. Because it is going to cost, um, you know, it's maybe a big number to you, I don't know, five to $10,000 to kind of get all the pieces that we need to make it look and feel comfortable. Part of it is we're going to have to buy chairs for the space. So that's a big deal. Um, so Caleb, we've talked about all the bad things. I want to know what you're really excited about now. Well, thank you for asking. Here's why we love this idea. And it's at the core of this Bible story. I'm sorry for our visitors. We feel like we meandered into something very pedantic to you. It's about making sure that people want to push through to get to Jesus. It's about creating open spaces. A full building is not open to new people. Um, frankly, a full building is not open to somebody that has, you know, different abilities, somebody who's in a wheelchair, right? Like that is a challenge that we have in our current space, even though we're ADA accessible, it's starting to get packed. Having space and room that everybody can be at. Having space where every kid has enough room to be a kid and not try to learn about Jesus while sitting in a three by three square, you know, because they have no space to move. All of these things are ways that we reach new people. But more importantly, I think there's new opportunities here. There's opportunities to, to grow and to serve. For some of you, that'll be set up in teardown. That will be a good opportunity for you to serve God's kingdom uh, via our church. It's also a chance to serve at the school. We will be able to make connections that we couldn't make otherwise with a school in our neighborhood where hundreds and hundreds of students go with hundreds of needs, with hundreds of things that they're desperate about. We're going to be kind of literally walking into their world. Um, and so for us, as always, it's always about a chance to have new people. The other thing I really love is it's a chance to rely on God again. Um, I don't know if this will sound weird to you. We don't need God to operate in this space the way that we are. We've figured these systems out pretty good. For those of you who were here four years ago, it was terrifying, but we kind of figured it out. And so we can make sure we have our worship team. We know how the audio system works and we can come in. We don't unlock the doors. We can play church here real easy without any faith. This is a big undertaking that's a little scary. And that's when you know, oh, I'm doing something that I need God's help with. And I'm excited about that. That is cool. That is fun to go to a new place and try a new thing that we want God's help with. To bring it back around. Um, God is a welcoming and loving God who doesn't want people to have to push through the crowd to get to him. Who wants to look them in the face, not to just have them tremble at his feet, but to look him in the eyes. And we try to be the, a church that creates those spaces where people feel the, the dignity and the integrity and the beauty of humanity that Jesus showed them when he looked them in the eyes. And we want to continue to be a place that happens. And we think that this move is our best way to do that for as many people as possible and to continue to grow the community here that is experiencing the love of Jesus. But don't get me wrong, the most important thing for me to say today is you may be a desperate woman cl clinging for the hem of Jesus' garment today. 
And he wants you to do a lot more than that. He wants you to experience a goodness and a fullness and a richness where you look full into his glorious face as we sing. Not to just grab at his garments. You are not an afterthought. You are not somebody who's just in the way while we move on to somebody more important's house. Caleb, you never finished talking about Jairus. You're right, I didn't. Jairus is fine. His daughter's fine. But today is about the woman. If you are in that place of desperation, no, we want to help you come face to face with Jesus and not just grab for his ankles. Because we think that's what he wants for you.